is an ancient art form. It helps us make sense of our experiences and connects us to community. It has been said that there is no greater connection between two people than when they are storytelling together. But historically, open conversation about adoption has not been encouraged. So we're doing just that. We're having conversations with birth mothers, adoptees, and adoptive parents that will inform, enlighten, and inspire community. Welcome to the Absolute Love Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Russell. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode three. Today, we talk with Leah, and Leah is the co-founder of Woven Together for Life, which is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to educate and support members of the adoption triad. Leah is a birth mother who, at 16 years old, placed her daughter for adoption. Leah is a wife, a parent to five children, and a writer. She maintains The Grace Bond, a blog focused on faith, hope, motherhood, and adoption. Welcome, Leah. So take me back to your story. I don't know that I really even know your whole story. I know you were really young and I know you had a daughter and that's kind of what I know. So I was six, like just after my 16th birthday, I found out that I was pregnant. I was a junior in high school. Um, and at that point, my boyfriend at that time, were, we were broken up. And so... Um, that was a little awkward. And we had been together kind of off and on for about nine months or so before that. And so I feel like we maybe tried to make things happen, but it was like, this isn't like, we're two very different people. We want different things in life. Um, and really he left the picture at that point. Um, and so felt a lot of rejection and loss and um, anger and things like that of you know, I'm left here to kind of handle this crisis. Um, and my parents, thankfully, were very supportive, very gracious, very um, just like, we are here for you. And just whatever you decide you want to do, we're here for you. Um, and they also got me into counseling right away. So that helped me to process all these feelings and family tensions and breakups. And just what do I do with this now? What is my life going to look like from this? And um, that was incredibly beneficial I mean, I, I feel like I started my process of healing in a sense, even during pregnancy. Um, so just to have that more of solid foundation that a lot of women don't get in, in post-placement or even during placement. Um, and so I spent seven months really going back and forth between parenting and adoption Um I really loved this baby that I was growing and I, I had always wanted to be a mother. So I kind of naturally thought, well, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Um, but the more I, you know, started feeling her move and it became more real of the responsibility and the life that she was going to have um, was very, was going to be very similar to what I had grown up with a single mom, um, you know, and her working full time and schooling and, um, you know, growing up in babysitters and just not feeling like my dad was around, but he wasn't really around kind of thing. And I was, I just wanted her to have a, a different life than what I had grown up with. And that really started to hit around, you know, that five, six, seven marker. And that's when I reached out to the adoption online groups and just gaining insight from people who have walked through that experience. And what does it look like to have an, an open adoption? And once I've heard from their stories, that really is what open my heart to adoption at all, really, that feeling like it could be the best of both worlds where I could give her this life that I can't offer right now, but I really wanted her to have, um, that I could still be a part of her and answer her questions and know that she is loved and was always wanted. And it wasn't a choice made out of rejection, but out of just love and wanting her to have even better. Um, and so seven months is when I made my decision and felt relief to kind of make a solid plan. Um, and I just felt peace with that. I felt like it was the right thing for me and my child. And I trusted that. Um, and I told my, my social worker, okay, I'm ready to look at profiles. And we talked about what I was looking for. And I thought through um, if I could be her parent, you know, and I was in my thirties or, and what would my life look like and how would I want to parent her? And so I found, um, kind of three basic things of like, I wanted a, you know, 
a Christian mom and dad. I wanted a family who was in the same state so we could have that closer, um, you know, interaction to be able to travel very easily. And then I was looking for a family who already had a child so I could see how they parented, how they were, how did they already discipline? How did they already, you know, what kind of schools, what kind of babysitters did they already use? What is the grandparent interaction like already? And those kinds of things. And because I grew up an only child um, with my mom that I wanted to guarantee she would have that sibling relationship that I always wanted. So um, based on those things, I looked at three profiles and the very first one was the one that I immediately felt clicked and connected to and just their um, their heart. I felt like they were just so genuine in their writing to me um, that we had, not even that we had a lot in common. It was just like something just felt right. And what really stood out for me was the last paragraph that they spent kind of blessing me and saying, um, you know, we're, we're praying these things over you and seeing, I felt like I was seen and it wasn't just about my baby, but it was, I see you and we want a relationship with you. Um, and so that really spoke to my heart and we met probably a week after that. And again, just everything clicked really easily. We're on the same page of, of what our open adoption would look like and, um, parenting think questions, just getting to know each other, um, that it just felt very good. It obviously, it was very hard too, to, um, you know, imagine what life is, what this life would look like and what I'm, you know, sacrificing in a sense. Um, but I was really encouraged by the things they said to me of like her dad said, you're an important piece to her life puzzle. And we want you here to help fill in these puzzle pieces that we can't. And so again, just validating like we, you're important, you matter, you have a place here. Um, and that's not going anywhere. Um, so we just spent the last two months getting to know each other. And did somebody go with you when you first met them or were you yes. alone? My, I had my mom and my, my dad and my stepmom. So it was, um, and my social worker too. So it was, I felt very supported and they helped me with questions and they helped ask questions. And, um, it's funny because like my stepmom and them were a very similar age. So it was, it was, it was just interesting that, um, it was just like kind of like gaining another set of parents in a sense, <laughs> um, because I was so young. So it was like this other role model that came into my life. The frame of reference that you had, I mean, now in our thirties, it's like a completely different perspective on life and parenting and all of this. And I, I can't even imagine being that young and thinking to like the the brain development at 16 and just how emotions at 16 are so big. I can't even imagine what that was like for you. Yeah. But I mean, my birth daughter is 16 now and I'm like, how in the world? Like you just can't, when you, you know, when you are 16, you feel like I am an adult. I can, you know, I'm invincible and I can do anything. And I'm like, I see her and I'm like, how did I, how did I live through that? Uh, it's yeah, yeah it's definitely incredible. perspective definitely changes. Um, yeah. And just, and as a mom now of gosh, how hard my parents like their journey of what they had to walk through beside me, like my heart would be torn into pieces if that was my child. Um, so very grateful for how they have handled for everything through through our and being my support. And um, that's what I really, really advocate for anything I do is, you know, whether you're an adoptive parent or this is your child you're walking through, um, having that compassion and not judging them and just being there for them for what they need right now. So, yeah. Wow. Just so powerful. I can't, you're incredible. <laughs> you're, it's amazing that you were able to, to make such a profound life decision at that age and, and at this age be so confident and be seeing what you went through as an opportunity to support other people. It's just, it's awesome. I just love what you're doing. And I love that you've okay. taken something hard in your life and made it so wonderful for everybody around you. Thank you. It's definitely my passion and it gives like fuels me to, to get up every yeah. day to help people through what I've been through. Yeah. It's awesome. So, so you met them and you were like, they're good. And after you saw them, did you, you felt that connection? And then what happens from there? 
yeah, so we we spent two months getting to know each other, lots of emails, lots of phone calls. We had visits even then just to talk even more. What does this look like for us? And how do we envision this? What are the expectations? Um, what, you know, getting to know each other as people. And that we had a, we wrote down a few basic agreements of how we, kind of the boundaries in a sense of what we expect of, you know, visits two times a year at minimum, um, keeping in touch in between that. Um, and if we ever moved or changed our number that we would update. So we couldn't just disappear. Um, it was pretty basic, but it was, it, I mean, that's always been upheld and definitely encourage other families to have that and, and even reevaluate it every year of like, what's working, what's not working. Do we need more um, details? Do we need um, what needs to be shifted? So we kind of have those conversations anyway, um, but it's not on paper anymore. There's a lot riding on somebody's word that that's what they're going to do for you. And I would imagine that a lot of your decision um, in choosing them was based on what you were expecting from contact, parenting style. I mean, you you put a lot of thought into who you were choosing. So how do you deal with that uncertainty of they could just go away at any moment? Oh, yeah. And that's definitely a very real and valid fear. And I've I've seen so many people that that's what they're banking on as well. And it turns out the opposite. For me, I absolutely felt that fear of like, what if this doesn't happen? What if they go back on this? And I still have those fears and they've never changed their word. Like they've always said, "We the doors open, you're, you matter. Um, and it's been 16 years at this point. So, um, but there's still that fear of like, but they could because the power is in their hands. Um, I think yeah. for me, my faith was a part of it of just this sense of trust, like just trust. I just had this peace um, to just trust them and to trust the plan and how it played out. Um, and just a lot of conversations of, you know, talking through these fears. I mean, I, I mean, I remember even five years into placement or so of saying like, I fear this or, you know, we haven't got to talk or I haven't seen a picture in so long. And they're like, just, just talk. Like if we can answer, we will answer. So that communication helped to relieve those fears and being able to do that in a healthy way. That's important. I think for adoptive families to hear that just because they don't see you doesn't mean that you've gone away and that that fear is something that kind of lives in you forever and that sensitivity to that you know i think your your experience that you you expressed that this is a little scary for me and they met you by saying we hear you and if you need more ask for more and we'll get that and that is i think a really beautiful lesson for adoptive families to remember I mean, it's like what um, Ashley Mitchell says, like, just in the picture, just do it. And unless they say otherwise, just keep doing it because it, it, even if they don't respond, it's still such a big, um, it means the world that to know that they are thinking of me too, um, mm -hmm. of, you know, just sending a picture of like, here's her Halloween costume or she won this award, like, or just, I'm thinking of you today. How are you? Um, that means the world to me. And so they've, I mean, they did that through pregnancy, but also, you know, the last 16 years. Um, and so it just reminds me that reassurance over and over and over is is really huge. Was there ever any time that you had episodes of silence or episodes of withdrawal from engaging with them? Mm -hmm. I feel like there's different seasons. Um, and I feel, so like the first two, three years of after placement, we had visits every single month because they had more time on our hands and I was finishing up um, high school and college. Um, and so I had most, at least one weekend free. And so I would come stay the night um, and spend that quality time, watch her grow, play with her, have lots of amazing conversations with them. Again, with that role model kind of thing that they were for me, that those were really formative years for our relationship as adoptive parent and birth parent, um, but also with her. And then after that, I got married and started growing my own family. And so there was 
a good seven years or so where I was, you know, constantly pregnant or nursing or, um, and we moved a little further away and it was just a very busy season in my life and for them as they were moving into, you know, having hobbies and after school things and all those kinds of things. So, um, there was, the communication was less at that point. You know, we went down to the bare minimum of, you know, the two visits a year we promised and then kind of sporadic updates in between. And that was okay. In that time, it kind of served its purpose. And I felt closer to her adoptive mom because she was the one who kind of kept me in the loop. Um, and then at 10 is when things started to shift where she was one because she was processing her adoption and her experience and wanting more one-on-one -on -one time and, and wanting to know me more and get those answers starting to come up. So um, there's, since then, you know, that was six years ago, there's definitely seasons for both of us where her parents are more out of the picture and it's more directly between me and her. But there's just these seasons where either we're just busy in our schedule or we're kind of retreating back because we're feeling a lot. And I feel like we're kind of in that season right now um, where we're just a little, just a little more withdrawn. And it's not that we've cut off contact completely. Like we're still available, but it's like, it's not like texting every day and it's not a bunch of pictures. There tends to be this, I'm kind of seeing patterns of, um, especially when she's not in school. So like summer, she'll have a whole lot more, you know, wanting visits and, and having, she's, I think she has a mental space to really talk more and to be present more in, um, and in school seasons, it's a little slower. And so I understand that. And I'm honestly the same way where it's just, you know, it can be really intense and then we kind of have to retreat back and kind of, feel and process things a little bit in, in our own little corners for a little bit. And that's becoming, it's, it's normal. I feel like. It's interesting because I think at 16 for her, she's preoccupied. I mean, I think every 14, 15, 16 year old, it's like you're starting to have independence and you're starting to assert who you are separate from uh, your, your family. It's all about your peers at that age developmentally, it's very normal to be distancing from what's not your peer group. And then it's interesting because then on your end of it, seeing her at the age where you went through this experience has got to bring up some some rawness in you that probably makes it hard then to connect. Well, it's interesting because I feel like she's, this is going to be really raw. Like, I feel like because of her relationship with me and being the 16 year old who's naturally pulling away from her parents a little more, she's gravitating towards me because we have so much in common, because of our bond, because we are experiencing this intense joy and grief and loss um, at the same time that she's feeling so much more because she's at 16 understanding how much I went through myself. And so that it's been a really heavy, heavy year for us. It's been incredible in a lot of ways, but it's been really heavy. And so I think that's where a lot of the retreating and like coming into things and, and we're trying to figure out as a triad, how do we best support her through this? And so um, definitely one of these things that we don't talk about or know to prepare for in the, in the future um, when you're when you're making, you're holding this infant and making this plan, you don't think through necessarily to the teen years, um, at least, or and knowing what to expect and things. We did talk about the teen years when she was little in the sense of making sure that, you know, I was a healthy person to be this person that I am right now, of being her role model in a sense and her, you know, holding her hand through this process and being a safe, healthy person to, to be that for her. And so, that's kind of the extent of what we talked about and what really motivates me to make sure that I'm good. Um, and yeah. Yeah. I don't know that there is a way to prepare. Like I think especially when you're, you're pregnant, pregnancy is so emotional in general. I mean, no matter when you experience it, your body goes through so much growing another human. And then you add all of the situational things that are going on. And then you add making a decision about adoption. And it's just, there's so many layers of internal 
stuff going on. And then you bring another family in and then you bring another life in and it becomes just so big. There's so much there that no matter how much preparing, how much education, how connected you are, it still comes down to being a very complex human relationship. So I want your opinion on Mm -hmm. something that comes up a lot for families. When we start talking about openness, I'm an advocate for as open as you can tolerate do that because I think Mm -hmm. that sets the foundation for some ebb and flow that's still in a space of comfort. Um, And all of the research is showing that open open adoptions are better for the children long-term. But overall, adoptees fare better when they're in some degree of open relationships. So we know that. But it's so common for families to say something like, I don't want to co-parent there has to be boundaries. Um, The one that really is hard for me is that what if her being involved opens a can of worms for my kid that they can't then understand who she is or what her role is. And the one of, well, what if she is connected to the baby so much so that she wants to come and take her back? And that is that those things come up all of the time and I all the time yeah and I struggle yeah. with how to talk about that's not what it is that no parent enters this wanting to co-parent that's not what birth parents are choosing that comes up so often yes so yeah I, in the all the prospective adopted parents who are really trying to figure out what what kind of adoption do we want what do we believe what do we feel all those come up for me as well um and I would say this. Um, so I grew up with a my mom and a stepmom and a dad. So I'm not adopted, but I had a blended family. And I I've known my stepmom since I as long as I remember, I was one. She's very different than me. She's not biologically related. She has a completely different role and personality and perspective that she gives me. Um, and my mom, you know, we have similar personalities and we look similar and, you know, same height, those kinds of things. Like I, but I have both and I value both and I love both equally. And I would go spend time with one and I would spend time with the other and it didn't negate what one or the other was. So to me, open adoption is just a different form of a blended family. And if a child of divorce or separation or whatever it is that you know defines your family, if a child can love a stepmom and a, and a mom, it's the same thing as a birth mom and adoptive mom. As a birth mom, I chose adoption. I chose these, this family to be her parents. And I respect that. I signed away my rights to make medical decisions or discipline or what school she goes to or whatever, I sign that away knowingly. And I'm not going to come back and change that because that's not fair to her. Um, And that's not how it works. And I respect that. And I will tell them that, I still tell them that, like, you know, if they have to make a decision that affects me, I tell them, like, I chose you, I respect that. Um, And I, they are providing everything that I had wanted for her. And those decisions are part of that. And um, I think that's a lot of, there's a lot of misunderstanding, like you said, with the co-parenting, that it's it's not a co-parenting. I, com- I completely sign those away and I respect their decisions and I don't really have input in that unless they come to me for input. And I'm okay with that. Um, I'm honored that they include me at all in those kinds of things. There are boundaries that are involved and those are good just like with a marriage or um, a best friend or any of those kinds of things, it takes work and intentional and takes effort. And it takes talking through those things of what, so you're not unintentionally overstepping. Um, But those boundaries change, right? Like you start any relationship with, you don't know them. I mean, just any person you meet, you have certain boundaries that are put up, certain comfort zones. And then as you build those boundaries, change as things, as you experience things, you see things you like, you see things you don't like. Um, That's 
human relationship is that those boundaries also have to flex. But I sometimes think families don't look at it like the relationship with the birth parent has that same structure. It has to flex or it won't work. Yes, exactly. And I think that's where we go back to, you can create like an open option agreement, but reevaluate it every year and talk through what is working, what is not working. Um, And building as you get, through, you know, through placement and getting to know them in those, you know, early years and months, like you're going to gain trust or that trust could be broken for whatever reason. And it's, so it's, it's not a definite set in stone relationship necessarily. It's, there is those ebb and flows and decisions, impacting decisions. And, um, it has to be flexible, like you said, and, and that's okay. And that's normal. And you can, like you mentioned, like having open adoption, being as open as you can tolerate. And I think that's definitely a good place to start. For us, we kind of did the bare minimum of, I know I can handle emotionally two times a year and schedule-wise, I know I can tolerate that. That's what I, both of us, we agreed on that. But we could, you know, under promise and then over deliver, we could fill in the other things that, you know, oh, this weekend's open. Do you want to get together? Or, you know, now at this point, she's 16 and I will throw out like, hey, we're going to the beach. Can we take her along or whatever it is? And so it's, again, that's also trust building. (laughs) You know, when, when she was a baby, I would never have asked that. And they probably wouldn't have allowed that because when I was 16, but the relationship foundation was not there at that point. And so with trust and with, you know, proving like you're in this and you're working towards for the good of the child that can, it absolutely will change. And saying that is noteworthy that when she was a baby, had you asked certain things, it would have been appropriate to say that's a boundary crossing. Whereas now things have changed. And I think for some families going into this, they don't recognize that the relationships you see 16 years later being super open and with random trips to the beach for a new family, that feels scary because they feel Mm -hmm. like, okay, am I going home with a baby? And then the next day she's going to come and want to sit in my living room and hold the baby. And that starts parents feeling afraid of openness. So I think putting it in the in the point of view that that built over 16 years and it was two parties who were extremely committed to getting to this point that you're at. This doesn't just happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it is. yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of work, but it's so, so, so worth it. It's especially seeing the fruit of the fruit of that now as she's a teen and feeling like I have both. And and they, they both are important and I love both and I want to be with both. And I have, you know, you understand me in, in ways they don't, but then I also have these really amazing parents who have provided so much for me. Um, but just seeing like other adult adoptees who did not have that growing up, you can see the difference. And um, so that is, it's not easy. It's, you know, we still have our trials and our struggles, but I think overall we are, we're seeing the reward of that hard work that we laid down when she was younger. Mm-hmm. Have you seen your daughter struggle through anything related to adoption? Yeah. Um, Well, like I mentioned before, with her turning 16, it was kind of like this full circle moment for her, for both of us, really. Um, And I took her back to the place on a mountaintop that I just really felt clearly, this is what you need to do. And so I think that was really deep for both of us that she was standing here in, in this incredible. place. That, yeah. Wow. Um, what a moment. I mean, it, it was really incredible. It's just so complex, like so hard, but so amazing at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like we've walked through a lot of that together and I love that we are able to have those conversations together. And re- like I said, walk through processing this together. And I think it's hard as birth parents get older and become into a place where they could be parenting that child. I could be parenting her and I would, I know I could have been a really great mom to her and I know I could be right now, but that's not the path I went down. Um, And so making sure I remind myself and her of when I was in that place, this is why I felt this was best for us. And that can be really difficult to, 
to wrestle, but having to like keep pointing back to. Um, and I think, you know, things with her birth father are a very different story. And so um, helping her navigate that and just, you know, there's, she has senses of rejection on that side, um, which in a sense I felt as well in, you know, not wanting to be a part of this story together. Um, or just answering questions that she has the little bit I remember or know. Um, yeah, there's, it definitely is a lot more as she gets older and, and feeling those things together. So I think for a lot of situations, it sounds like, you know, your daughter bringing up to her parents that she needs something from you might cause some fear in them, some resentment in them, some jealousy in them that she is seeking you out for something. Have you felt that that has been her experience with them at all? Um, I sense it a little bit. We've worked, I feel like we've worked really hard to really keep her in mind from the very beginning um, of this is why we were, we're doing this together for her. And we obviously benefit as well, but making sure that we keep our emotions in check um, and our desires to focus on what she wants. And so that goes into the ebbs and seasons too, of like sometimes she is silent and I step back and respect that. Um, and her parents, I'm sure it's difficult for her to say, hey, I want to go to Leah's house for a week for my birthday. Um, and being... And allowing her to do that because they respect that that's what she needs. Um, and time with her siblings here and things like that. They they know that. And I know that can be really difficult. I would imagine that can be really difficult. Um, and they've, you know, they've said it can be difficult, but we know it's worth it for her. Um, one of the kind of struggles we have that also does not get talked about really in preparing for this lifelong journey is the grief after a visit. It wasn't so much, to my knowledge, it wasn't so much an issue for either of us the first few years. Um, it was just a lot of, for me, it was a lot of joy and just like, I can't believe I get to be a part of her life. I get to, you know, watch her do this or I went to this, you know, ceremony or whatever. Just being a part of her life was such a thrill um, because I know that, especially at that point, it wasn't as common to have that. And so whenever we started having more visits that were more personalized to me and her, um, she and I started feeling more grief after. And there's this kind of this transition period of like, we're, you know, kind of whole for a minute or for a few days and then it's ripped apart again. So it's like that primal wound is kind of ripped open a little bit and struggling through just allowing that, like allowing that to be part of it, that you can have this extreme joy. And then also knowing that this processing time is going to happen after. And how do we, how do we best support, you know, how do I support myself through that and, you know, prepare my family for that because it affects me as a mother and of whatever that is, um, but also affects her. And I think that's been a, a challenge to figure out when you would visit and then you would go back home, when you were working through that grief process, were you able to identify where that grief was coming from? Or did it feel like just that primal wound, that it was that aching for something that was part of you? Um, I think it's mostly just the aching for... You know, we were we're so like physically bonded, um, mm -hmm. and like she'll come into our home and she'll feel like a part of our family for a little bit, and then goes back home. And so that can be really difficult um, for for everybody. I mean, her siblings here as well. It's it's you know they love her too, <laughs> and I love yeah. her, and she and she likes being here, but she also likes being at home. So it's just like that. I've heard that kind of divided loyalty kind of thing adoptees can feel. Um, and it's just normal and it's part of the consequences of adoption. And that doesn't mean that it's necessarily that it makes open adoption bad. It just means like 
prepare for it and allow the space for it. Or if it's becoming a struggle, you know, maybe counseling needs to be involved to, to help explore those things more. Um, but I think it's been really helpful for the two of us to be able to talk about it after of like, I really enjoyed this time and now I'm feeling this way and having each other to lean into that because it's something that um, people who aren't in it can't really understand it. Um, and even, even with her parents, it can be difficult to understand, you know, you had this time, why are you sad? Or like, you know, does that make sense? It's Yes. And I think the instinct of adoptive parents might be that she goes to the visit with you. She has a fabulous time and it's so good for her, but the pain after is so bad for her. Or, you know, as a society, we equate pain with bad. Right. Um, I, I think that's a lesson for like childbirth, that pain is producing a baby. So it's pain for a reason, but there's not really a place in our life where we perceive that, that that awfulness after something so good could be positive. It's connection, it's growth, it's acknowledging that there is such a strong bond that's worth continuing to invest in. But I think the instinct is to run from pain. Mm -hmm. So for her to come home and then have, you know, a week, two weeks of sadness, you know, what processing, working through the grief, not knowing how to handle that, her parents might look at that like, okay, we got to stop these visits. This is not productive for her. Mm -hmm. And I think this conversation is important because that is not the right thing to do to say, because it hurts, let's pull back. Yeah, but it isn't. It is. I think it definitely is a natural instinct. And um, I was talking with an adult adoptee that this is what her parents did is they shut it down. And they're like, Nope, we're done. And she was like, that was the worst thing they could have done for me. It made me hate my parents. It destroyed the bond that I had with my birth mom when we did reunite. Um, so many negative things came out of it. And she was like, if, if we had all been in this together and worked through it together and just been allowed to feel whatever I feel, it could have looked so different. And um and I and I also want to touch too that it doesn't have to be just a teen. Like I've heard adoptive parents who have, you know, five-year-olds that their children will suddenly start acting out after a visit or get really angry or, um, you know, just feeling a lot after a visit. And then it's that just to know to expect that and to help them through that. But like you said, it doesn't mean you have to completely draw back and, and say, that, okay, this isn't good. It's just part of it. Yeah. And I'm thinking back to being a young kid and how intensely you feel connected to experiences and people. And again, when you're young, your emotions are so large and you don't have the resources to moderate those really well. We don't learn that until adulthood and many of us are not that great at it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think those, those intense connections to place and experience, it's part of the experience of childhood. But then when you add that like intense missing of, you know, let's say you go to sleepaway camp and you come home from the week and you're like so devastated that you're away from your friends and you keep wanting to be back at camp. And then that kind of wears off as the days go by and you get re into whatever the groove was you had before summer camp. Yeah. But complexity of those visits as an adoptee you have that experience of being invested so much in a person and an experience that you love and want to be a part of. And then you're taken away from that experience. So you experience that summer camp grief, but then there's all of that on top of it, that this is your birth parent. And that's so complex. And that's a big feeling for little kids, for teenagers. Those are big feelings. And adoptive parents have to try. They have to educate themselves about how to help their child come back from those visits and work through that grief. It's a life skill. And it's, it is not an opportunity to say, you're not any good at this grief stuff. Let's pull out of this. <laughs> right. Exactly. The biggest thing I hear from adoptees is just like, just be a safe place for us. Like help us to know that, that you're here for us and that you hear us. And even if you don't get it, like you're just just let me feel it. And, um, and I, and yeah, it's, it's just, it can be so complex and it can be a lifelong ebb and flowing and learning. And, um, but I appreciate you saying that too, because it's still, it's honestly validating for birth parents too, um, that are kind of on the other side and feel like essentially 
the bad guy in a sense of like, well, I'm causing this pain or I caused this by this choice. And that's not necessarily true that it's, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just so complex. Um, And it, you know, and we can't, it, like I said, it's kind of a consequence of of, of a decision and it doesn't necessarily mean it was a consequences can be good and bad or good or bad. It can be both. It can be either or. It can be both at once. And all of it. it. And adoption is all of it at once. And so just being able to have the safety to work through that together and not be cut out. um, And again, I think just shows like you have value and you matter too as a birth parent. Yeah, it's it's interesting that that fear of let's put a stop to these visits because I'm feeling a lot. It's the same experience for a birth mom. That that same, am I causing this pain? This is causing me pain. So let's just stop doing it then. And it's possible that that is what motivates some of those long periods of silence that some relationships go through. Yeah, I definitely see that on in birth mom experiences. I've never felt that need of like, well, I can't come to a visit because, because for me, visits always helped. It helps me to see her happy and thriving and what she's doing and learning and hearing stories from her parents of, you know, she did this and this and this, and that helps me. Um, That's not been my experience, but I do see that of, you know, it hurts to receive a picture. I don't know if I can... I don't know if I can receive another one right now, or I don't know if I can go to this visit because it was so difficult. Um, so I think it's definitely that pain equals bad kind of thing. And but how do you work through that? Do you yeah. feel like there's any commonality among women who might lean more towards that pulling back when it gets really painful? Any commonality in personality or experience or openness or anything that would contribute to having that reaction versus a let's continue to run towards the pain reaction? Um, I think I feel like the, the having counseling and having that support system in place is what I observe to be the biggest difference because I, and maybe I was raised that way too, of like, let's just face this head on. Like, let's go to counseling. Let's talk this out um, so that we can all be on the same page. Um, And I know, I know that um, she personality wise is kind of the same way. Um, And I feel like birth moms who don't have that support system or have that mindset of like, let me tackle this and heal. They, they're, it's that retreating sense of like, let me shield myself from this pain. Um, and support system has a big part of a big part of that. Um, yeah. I mean, it could be, I think lifestyle choices can be part of that too. Um, especially if there's like drugs or things like that involved or abuse, there's things that they're kind of shielding, um, the other family from, or maybe they're embarrassed or ashamed or something like that. Um, there's just so many so many things, but those are the, I feel like the two biggest things of like just trying to shield and avoid, um, to avoid pain. Um, it's, it's, I don't know. It's really devastating, honestly. Yeah. It's hard because that's not been my experience, but I can only imagine how hard that would be to feel, um, so triggered in a sense that you couldn't connect with your child. And I think, um, I've seen the results of that from the adoptee experiences with friendships that I have of their birth parents aren't able to engage because they didn't have that support and that healing. And so it doesn't affect just the birth mom, but it affects your relationships, you know, with your child too. So that's really difficult. <laughs> yeah. I think it's important too, to say that for a birth parent who might be living a high risk lifestyle when they choose placement, it doesn't mean that that's forever. And making a decision for your child at six months old versus six years old versus 16 years old can't be based on the information you had when the child was born. Things in all of our lives. And maybe it still would be a bad situation to engage at 16 with a birth parent who is continuing a high-risk lifestyle. But assuming and not giving an opportunity over the years to reassess that's damaging. You know, we need mm-hmm. to be open to that. We all change 
constantly. That's what life is. So needing that, like you, you referred to it as that flexibility and that ability to reassess those boundaries constantly is even more important when you are raising the child who was born to a parent living a high-risk lifestyle. It's, it, it's again, another layer of complexity to that relationship. So, so true. Yeah. It's people can change for sure. And being able and open to and advocating for their healing and so that they could have this relationship um, and reassuring like we're here. Um, we want to help you and not enable, but help yes. you in the sense of like to get on a healthy path. Yeah, absolutely. Do you remember when you placed your daughter, well, you were young and I feel like the the social experience at that time, I think you're so, you put so much of your own value on the way your peers perceive you. So becoming pregnant unexpectedly at a young age, placing a child for adoption at a young age, I imagine there was some social consequences. Yeah. And I moved schools in the middle of my pregnancy. So, um, so I, (laughs) (laughs) yes. So I, I left my mom's house when I was three or four months pregnant, partly because seeing the birth father was, I didn't, I realized now it was like panic attacks um, of just that intense like rejection and like, why are you not involved? Like, why do you not care? All that was very triggering for me. Um, And then my mom and I were just not in a good place relationship wise. Like she obviously was as a parent dealing with a lot too. And so we were just fighting all the time. And so at that point I felt it was best to move to my dad's house and my stepmom's house. And so I changed high schools and, you know, I was able to hide my, hide my pregnancy under like hoodies and stuff for a little bit, but, um, there's social consequences in the sense of like, I, the people in my classes got to know me and, um, were very supportive. They had a lot of questions, especially as I chose adoption and, you know, really helping them understand what is adoption and what is open adoption. So that was interesting, but I really didn't have you know, I finished my junior year and my senior year in this new school and I didn't really have a lot of close friends and I didn't have a boyfriend, which was a good thing. I feel like it just kind of was this <laughs> protective time of like, let's just go, you know, grow myself and focus on myself right now. Um, and I didn't feel judged by them. I don't feel like, um, it was just a lot of curiosity, but I do feel like I, when I think regardless of whether you choose to parent or place when you're a teen, you you grow, you become more mature. And the things that matter to everybody else was nothing to me. Um, and so that really put this kind of distance between me and a lot of people. I just, I had no interest to, to do the things that they were doing and, and what they cared about. And so that was hard, but that's where the those online communities became really, really helpful of where... I I had someone to talk through these deeper things with Um, or I've made older friends or like I was more close to my parents because we were just not that we're on the same level, but we could talk about things in a immature way. Um, So that was, yeah, it definitely changed my, my teen friendships for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So what is that like after you give birth as a, as a young, young woman and choose adoption? And I mean, how soon did you go back to school? How soon did you start kind of doing what you were doing before? So thankfully she was due in the middle of summer or at the mm-hmm. beginning of summer. So I, um, you know, ended school and a few weeks later she was born. So I still, I had a good solid you know, two and a half months to really recover physically, um, go to counseling, really focus on myself for a lot of that. Um, and then I, I remember I was joining like youth groups and I would go on events and things like that just to have something fun to do. Um, and I would go see her. Um, and I had a job that my senior year. So that was really just kind of adding to my responsibility and getting out of the house and, and meeting people. Um, so, but I feel like because it was summer that really helped me 
just to have a little reprieve time. And so I know a lot of birth moms don't get that (laughs) over. It might be in in the middle of, of a semester or they have work to go back to. And so that's a whole nother complexity of doing all that at so close and in society understanding that you might still need six weeks off um, because you're dealing with so much physically and emotionally. Yeah. Yeah. I think that period of time is not something that's talked about a lot. I don't think in the community at all. I I don't hear that conversation a lot that, you know, you prepare an expectant mom for pregnancy, you prepare for delivery, you prepare for placement and then you prepare for your visits. But there's a huge gap of time in between there that you are recovering from giving birth, which is insane. Like that is an insane experience. And that is, I mean, for women who haven't given birth, you you struggle for weeks. I mean, things hurt and you're bleeding and your milk's coming in and your emotions are all over and your body is going back to some kind of body that you had before. (laughs) But like, I mean, even internally, it's like your organs are going back in place and your blood levels are reducing. And that does not happen overnight. It happens over a period of weeks. So you have this woman who gave birth and then goes home and her body is experiencing everything postpartum and her baby's not there. And we don't talk about that experience of it's beyond just the baby's gone. It's that this entire body, my mind, my heart, everything is recovering and it is intense. It's a sudden intense change. Mm -hmm. There's really no conversation to prepare for that time. Yes. (laughs) And then you go back to school or you go back to work or you go back wherever and just pick up like life is no different, but you're still going through this fourth trimester. Yeah. Where you should be resting and being fed and being taken yes. care of. And yes. yes, absolutely. And that's one thing that definitely needs to be talked about because I think people just assume like, okay, well, the baby is not here. So let's just move on with life. Um, yes. I mean, it's a lot like, you know, when you have a miscarriage or like a stillbirth of like people just spe- like expect you to move on and just keep functioning when you are going through so much physically and emotionally and physically reminded that my baby isn't with me. My milk is still leaking six weeks later and I'm not the one feeding her. That's really hard. Um, And so I think that's one thing that needs to be done better um, in general is preparing for that time and how to support her during that time. You know, why does a brand new mom have you know, meals for a month from church and a new birth mom is expected to just pick up and and take care of her kids that she has at home and And not get that physical time or care. Yeah. And if let's say it's a mom who is a first time mom, still, it's like as a first time mom, a lot of my, my connection after giving birth was somebody coming and sitting with me even if they weren't doing my dishes or bringing me food or holding the baby, that time after birth is, it's just crazy. It's, it's an entire shift in identity, whether you're parenting that child or whether you've placed that child, your identity is like, it, like it crumbles and it needs to be rebuilt as this new person who grew a human and gave a life. And there's the the sense of someone coming and being in your space and saying like, I see you, you're still here, you've got this. That is so important. And like you said, when you have a miscarriage, when you place a child for adoption, culturally, we don't do a great job at giving those moms that love. That's a huge problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's definitely something that needs to shift. And I do think it is starting to change. It's starting to be more aware as people talk, especially with like miscarriage and stillbirth and things like that, like that's starting to shift. But that same thought process needs to come to birth parents as Mm -hmm. well, because it is a very similar feeling. I've walked through both and it is a very similar feeling. And And I like to share that with adoptive parents too, that if you have walked through any kind of loss, use that to have compassion towards how she is feeling, Um, especially in the hospital or right after birth of, 
using that knowledge of what you've walked through to help her? What helped you through that? Was it someone bringing you meals? Was it someone giving you a gift? Was it a necklace to remind them of their child? Or was it, you know, just sitting with you? And like you said, of like, I'm here. We don't have to talk, but I'm here. Um, Those things. And I had that in my parents, thankfully, because I was 16 and I was at home. I did have someone who, I mean, I would have I remember one time I was like having nightmares or something. Like I was just so sad and I was having dreams of someone taking my baby, which is a very, really like birth mom struggle with that. Like it's PTSD. And um, I I just, I had my stepmom come sleep with me because I needed just her presence. And birth moms need that regardless if you're 16 or 32. Like having someone there um, in the hospital or the weeks after into some capacity is, is really huge. I think a lot of times too, with women who place, they don't necessarily know how to ask for what they need. And that goes for all of us. I mean, any of us that go through something hard or scary or painful, it's like a, like a longing for connection in some way, but you don't necessarily have the, the capacity at the time to say, you know, if somebody would just bring me dinner, that would go a long way for me. But I think that conversation about here are just general ways that you care for somebody that is struggling. And those extend to a birth mom, particularly after delivery. As a provider, as an adoptive parent, as a friend of somebody who places a child, you don't know how to help because you don't know what's going on. And then the person experiencing it can't necessarily say, this is what I need. So you, you further that disconnect mm-hmm. and then people just go away. It's like, I'm afraid I'm gonna upset her. I'm afraid I'm gonna step on her toes. So I'll just do nothing. And yeah. she'll come to me when she needs me. And it doesn't work that way. With anything, it doesn't work that way. Yeah, that's so true. And I think you're in such a vulnerable state anyway, that you don't wanna be a burden to people either. Yeah. Um, and I think that can relate to, you know, when I had, when I was a mom and was in postpartum depression, it's not the same, but it's a similar, like, I don't want to bother people with what I need. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had someone tell me like, you know, it's, it's a season. And if I know that if the rules were reversed, you would do the same for me. And it's that kind of mindset of like one day, you can pass it on to somebody else. Like you said, like someone brought me a meal that meant so much to me. I'm going to just do that. I'm going to go drop it off. And we don't even have to talk, but it's there. And whether they ask for it or not. Um, and then that person can pass it on one day to somebody else when they are in a healthier place. And so, um, I mean, that's, it becomes full circle. Um, and it, like you said, applies to anybody struggling with whatever the situation is around them, but just do it. Yeah. You know? Yeah, it's we're not socialized to accept help and we're not socialized to ask for help. We again, we hide when we're in pain, we hide when we have grief, we hide when something's wrong, we hide from counseling. I mean, those things are all seen as shameful and it feels so good to be liberated from that. I think before you said something, you were like, okay, I'm going to say something raw here. But a lot of people don't do that. You know, you talk about adoption, you talk about birth parenting and it's like the surface gets scratched and you're like, hey, yay, everything's great. We're all super happy. Yay, adoption. But there's so much beyond that. And that's the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. That's yeah. the raw stuff that is going to help in reality for somebody yeah. listening to your story. Yeah. I never want, I mean, people, I get hate comments of like, oh, you're just, you know, poop rainbows and adoption's amazing. Like, no, like I, I have a positive story and I will share that, but I also never want to negate that it's really hard for me and for her and her parents too. And so, but I also have to do that in a protective way as, you know, protecting her story and her feelings too, and, and her parents. And so there's so much more that I, wish I could share or want to share, but I have to really process like what is the best way to share these thoughts and feelings and experiences that protects, we have this conversation all the time in the adoption community. Like how do we do that um, with protecting privacy too? But, yeah. um, all of us have the mindset that if it helps other people, then that's worth it. 
um, you know, within those safe boundaries for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like we could do a series because there's like a gazillion things I want to talk about. (laughs) I know. This is so fun. Thank you. (laughs) I could talk all day on this. I know. We could totally do part two. Thank you for listening to today's episode. You can find more from Absolute Love Adoptions on Instagram, Facebook, or our website, www.absoluteloveadoptions.com. Every time you like or share our content, you are helping us to build this community. Thank you for your support.